Thank you, Samuel. Uh, Before we uh, look at this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its power, its ability to speak to us in every situation. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your word this morning as we think about the church as the body of Christ and what it means for us to be members of that body. Speak to us now, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Um, so uh, just to commend to uh, uh, the younger ones uh, the handout, um, uh, and possibly the older ones, if you don't want to listen to the sermon, that's up to you. Um, uh, so there's, the idea is to draw a, a picture of an eye and then an ear in the other box, and then a head talking to the feet, um, and, uh, and there's also some colouring at the back. Just to, but actually, if you want to listen to the talk, that's even better. Um, so uh, Edward's away, so that means I can begin my sermon with a joke. Um, uh, I won't tell him if, if you won't. It's a very old one, you've probably heard it. Um, there's two men walking through a jungle. If you want to imagine the jungle, then just look at John's shirt. Um, so suddenly these two men, they see a tiger in the distance running towards them. Uh, they turn and start to run away. And then one of them stops and starts taking some running shoes out of his bag, and he starts putting them on. And the other one says, what on earth are you doing? Do you really think you're going to outrun that tiger? And the other man says, well, I don't have to run faster than than the tiger. I just have to run faster than you. (laughs) So it's a very old joke, but it does rather illustrate uh, one of my key points this morning, which is that we live in a very competitive world, don't we? We always seem to be striving consciously and perhaps even subconsciously, to be better than the next person, to outdo them in some way, to have a better job, a better house, to be more talented, to be more approved of, to avoid being eaten by the tiger. And we're always looking, aren't we, for a better deal. Footballers move clubs every few years now. The, the idea of a footballer staying with the same club for the whole of his career, it's, just, it's inconceivable. I'm a Spurs fan, so please don't talk to me about Harry Kane. We shop around for the best gas and electricity deals. I certainly do, every year when my fix comes to an end. There's even a new word in the dictionary for all this. You've probably heard of it, FOMO. You heard of the word FOMO? Fear of missing out. We live in a competitive world driven by FOMO. But you know, the world has always been like this. The 18th century writer Samuel Johnson once said this, No two people can be half an hour together, but one shall acquire an evident superiority over the other. It's very difficult, if not impossible, for two people to spend 30 minutes in the same room without one acquiring a superiority over the other. It's in our human nature. There's something fundamental within us that wants to put us all in some kind of pecking order. Whether it's based on social class, or our religion, or our ethnicity, or the job we do. Or even how we speak. You may have seen that the businessman Digby Jones got into trouble the other week for complaining about the the BBC Olympics presenter from East London who was always dropping G's at the end of her sentences. For her, it was the Olympic fencing, the rowing, the boxing. 
Now, frankly, the rest of us didn't mind, but for Digby Jones, he was outraged. He was establishing his evident superiority over the other. Now, the Church of Christ ought to be different from that. Don't you think? We're called to be different from the world, not signing up to the world's values. In the world, but not of it, as uh, Jesus says. And yet we followers of Jesus are also competitive, aren't we? My church tradition is better than your church tradition. My denomination is better than your denomination. I'm a more spiritual person than you are. I've got a better understanding of the Bible than you have. 2,000 years ago, the church in Corinth, this young Christian church, was facing very much the same problem. There were rival camps in the church, competition within the people of God. In fact, Paul writes about this right at the beginning of this uh, letter, chapter 1. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, that's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. You can just imagine the lofty superiority of that last group, can't you? I follow Christ. Why are you following all these other people? The church was divided. And there was also a lot of spiritual one-upmanship in this church. In chapter 4, Paul writes, Some of you have become arrogant. And there was a particular problem in this Corinthian church about the ranking of spiritual gifts. Many of the Corinthian Christians thought that the only gift that was really worth having was the gift of tongues. The ability to speak in strange, unintelligible languages. And for them, all other gifts were lesser gifts. So those who had these lesser gifts experienced FOMO, fear of missing out. And so our passage from 1 Corinthians 12 today is Paul's response to these problems. The problem of disunity within the people of God, of competitiveness between Christians, and of spiritual superiority. And he starts in the first part of chapter 12 by talking about the various spiritual gifts and how none of them is any greater than any other. Why is that? Well, because what's not important is not the gifts themselves, but the God who gives them by his Holy Spirit. In verse 11, he writes, All these gifts, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And then Paul whacks us around the head with this amazingly vivid metaphor for the church. And you can't miss it, because in the 15 verses that Samuel read to us, there were 11 instances of the, of the word one and 16 instances of the word body. One body. Paul wants to leave us in no doubt that there is one body. It's not our body. It's not actually the church's body. It's the body of Christ. And we are parts of that body. In verse 12, he writes, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
So, so if the body is Christ's body, and we are parts of that body, then how did we become parts of this body? Now, some people will tell you that you need to be super spiritual. And you've probably met super spiritual people, and you look at them and you think, oh gosh, I can't be like them. I'm not nearly spiritual enough. One of my lecturers at a theology college was Rowan Williams. And when he retired as Archbishop of Canterbury in 2012, a Guardian editorial um, praised him as a man of luminous intellect and uncommon spirituality. And so he seemed to us students with his druid-like beard, his passion for mysticism, and his brain the size of a planet. And when we think like that, we think that spirituality is a bit like a, a skyscraper with many floors. And with Rowan Williams right up there in the penthouse suite and little old me right down in the basement. But you know what? Being spiritual is not like that at all. According to Paul in 1 Corinthians, there's only one test of spirituality, just one. And he explains it back in chapter 1. If you declare that Jesus is Lord, and if you accept the foolishness of the cross, then you are a spiritual person. Why? Because you can only do those things by the power of the Holy Spirit. By being baptized by one spirit, in the spirit. If you do that, then you are a spiritual person and you are part of Christ's body. Just like Rowan Williams, right up there on the top floor. And in fact, Paul says as much in verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. So as we begin to think about this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to bring out two big, hairy truths. The first is, we are Christ's body, made into the body, not by our own efforts, but by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And secondly, there is one body, but there are many parts. Just like the human body. And, and that's when Paul goes to town with his body metaphor and pointing out that the eye can't do without the hand and the head can't do without the feet, and so on. Okay, Paul, we're getting the message. And it is, of course, possible to overdo this body metaphor. There was one uh, young curate who preached on this passage, and he got a bit carried away as he began to identify different members of the congregation with different parts of the body. Don't worry, this isn't going to get too risque. <laughs> Some of you are hands, he said, doing all the jobs around the church. Some of you are knees, always praying. Some of you are hearts, always comforting and caring for others. But some of you are tonsils. We'd be better off without you. Some of you are false teeth. Now in, now out. And some of you are the appendix. We didn't realize we had you until you started causing us trouble. Dear friends, that's not how to apply this passage. So how can we apply these truths 
to us as the people of God, as members of Christ's body? How can we apply it today, even in our competitive, disunited, FOMO-driven, spiritually hierarchical church? Well, once we've established those two big hairy truths, that we are Christ's body, and there is one body, just one body, but many parts, then I think that there are three specific applications that are worth bringing out this morning. And the first is this, that Christ's, in Christ's body, the church, we are each of us precious, not pointless. Precious, not pointless. And that's what Paul means when he says in verse 15 um, that uh, uh, just because the foot is not the hand, that doesn't mean that the foot isn't precious. doesn't mean that the foot is any less part of, of the body. One of the lies that often circulates in church congregations is the conviction that I have no gifts and I have nothing to bring to the church family. Have you come across people who say that? To go back to that curate sermon, people say, I'm just the appendix of this body. I serve no meaningful purpose whatsoever. Of course, that presupposes that God didn't design the appendix for a reason, and we just haven't worked it out yet. But we might look at the gifts that Paul lists earlier on in chapter 12 and think, whoa, I haven't got any of those. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, Healing, woof. Miraculous powers, no thank you. Speaking tongues, what's all that about? Interpretation, distinguishing between spirits, prophecy. Those gifts are for super spiritual people, not for little old me. But of course, these aren't the only spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 12, there are other gifts, like serving, or or giving, or encouragement. There are still other spiritual gifts elsewhere in the Bible. Someone has suggested that there are at least 20 and possibly many more gifts that are specifically mentioned in Scripture. And there are many gifts that are not even mentioned here. You see, we get, we try to get hung up about trying to identify what our gift is. But again, that's not the point because they're not our gifts. They are God's gifts given to us by His Holy Spirit. The Spirit in whom we are baptized. Maybe we just need to serve, and then our gift or our gifts will become evident over time. We are all of us precious parts of the body. We're certainly not pointless. So we're precious, not pointless. Second, we are all called to be affirming and not arrogant. The second big lie that often circulates in church congregations is the myth of self-sufficiency. And it's the exact opposite of that first lie, that I am useless and pointless, and says instead, I don't really need you. You've got nothing to contribute to the body. And this arrogance has the effect of reinforcing that first lie, which is the myth of uselessness. But Paul knocks that lie on its head in verses 21 to 26, when he points out that the eye can't do without the hand and the head can't do without the feet. God has so designed the body that every part of it, every part of it, has a role to play. 
In Psalm 139, the psalmist says, and you've heard these verses, I praise you, God, because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't they? And the church, as the body of Christ, is also fearfully and wonderfully made. With each of its members, us, having a part to play. Even if we don't yet know what our particular gifts are. So are we encouraging and infirming of each other in the body of Christ? Or are we consciously or subconsciously being arrogant about our own gifts? We need to be affirming, not arrogant. And finally, if we're all parts of the same body, one body, precious to God, affirming of each other, not feeling pointless or useless, not feeling arrogant, then we need to be committed, not complacent. We need to be committed to the body of Christ, of which we are members. To put it another way, and this is my last natty alliteration of the morning, we need to truly belong and not be bystanders. And my question to you this morning is quite simple. Are you a member of the body, fully engaged, fully belonging, or are you a bystander? You see, we're in the body of Christ because God has placed us in the body by his Holy Spirit with whatever gifts we may have, even gifts we don't yet know about. As Paul writes in verses 24 to 25, God has put the body together. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And earlier on in verse 7, Paul says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So to each one of us, a gift or gift is given, and it's not for our benefit, it's to glorify God and for the common good, to encourage each other and to point ourselves and the world to Jesus. So, to conclude, Paul gives us two big hairy truths in our passage this morning. One, there is one body, one body, the body of Christ. And two, though there is one body, there are many parts. And then Paul goes on to deal with two big lies that you often hear in the church. He deals with the myth of pointlessness or uselessness in the church. And he does so by saying that there's no point of the part of the body that is pointless or useless. And then he deals with the myth of self-sufficiency or spiritual superiority. The conviction that I don't need you because my gifts are enough or more important. And why is that a lie? Because God has made you part of that body. And the body is fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, at this point in a sermon on 1 Corinthians 12, the preacher would normally encourage you to all go away and find out what your spiritual gift is. There's online questionnaires and surveys. You've probably done them. But as I've already said, that's not really the point this morning. God, in his wisdom, may have given you a spiritual gift you don't No, yet, it may not even be in the Bible. The list of spiritual gifts in Scripture is not exhaustive. And again, they are God's gifts, not ours. Given to encourage and build up the people of God for the common good, to point people to Christ. 
What matters is not what particular gift you might have, but are you committed to the body of Christ rather than being complacent? Are you ready to belong? Are you wanting to belong or just be a bystander? So instead of trying to divine to hunt down your gift, why not take a look once again at the Christian Service Center part on the St. Mary's website? There are loads of different ways of getting involved in the life of the church. Loads of different areas where there's a need. There's at least 10, possibly more, areas where there's a need. Why not just give one of them a try? Even for a term. If it turns out not to be your area of gifting, then that's fine. At least you've tried. Perhaps try another one. Only then might your gifting emerge. Or not your gifting, but God's gift to you by his spirit. Or maybe even think of a new way in which you can serve the people of God. And then discuss it with the team. I'm a great fan of church notice howlers. You've probably seen some of these. Here's one of my favorites. Uh, The vicar will preach his farewell sermon on Christmas Day, after which the choir will sing Joy to the World. Another notice said the following. On Thursday evening, there will be auditions for the choir. They need all the help they can get. But here's the thing. Did you know that help is actually a spiritual gift? That one word, help, is a spiritual gift. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 28. Check it out. So where can you help? To paraphrase Lord Kitchener in World War I, your church, the body of Christ, needs you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that the body of Christ, the church, is fearfully and wonderfully made. We thank you for calling us by your spirit to be members of this body. We pray, Lord, that you would challenge us to be committed. Challenge us not to feel pointless, not to feel arrogant or superior, but all to commit to belong to the body, not for our glory, but for your glory, and to point this world to Jesus, our Savior. And we pray it in his name. Amen.